This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to another episode of The Crown Cast, and it's been a weird week for me. I won't lie to you guys, it's been weird. I've gotten so used to watching football and then re-watching football and then studying football and then looking, about stat, uh, looking up stats about football. And instead of doing all that, I just sat around confused because there was no football. <laughs> but uh, that's not going to stop us from talking about the football because there was still some cool stuff that happened. And we're going to shout a little bit of that out later. But I am going to introduce my now regular co-hosts. I get to say this as with both of them as Josh is slowly returning. It's Josh. Hello, Josh. Hello, hello. Wonderful to uh, be back. <laughs> and as ever, it's Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Hello. Yeah. Uh, so there has been a time in my life where I introduced each of you as my regular co-host. And then it's, it's just sort of been like swapping out and putting in. And I'm really glad to have you both <laughs> on the same show. Thank you so much for being here. We did, you know, we talked about beforehand that we were going to have this break in the schedule where unfortunately we didn't win the League's Cup but we were going to address some of the the issues surrounding Charlotte FC and the fact that we have essentially conceded the most expected goals against in the league. We are not performing well. Just as a general rule, Charlotte FC is kind of looking a bit down. And I, I think that's that's putting it politely. And and we sat down and we talked about how do you build a team? Right? How does a team go from nothing? to existing in the first place and then how what what methods should you subscribe to to be successful and everybody has their own opinion on this everybody thinks a little differently and I'm sure that the three of us are all going to think a little bit differently as well but we're gonna get the chance to talk about it today I do want to start out by uh, calling out the Mint City boys at the Mint City Collective the Mint City pod they have recently released an a very, very, very good episode that has our sporting director, Zoran Cronetta, on really talking quite honestly and openly about a lot of the things that happen and the challenges both inside and outside the system. So uh, I think I'll start with you, Josh, in this. And that is when, when you are looking at building a team, I think one of the first thing that, things that gets overlooked is the challenges that aren't pen and paper challenges. So Charlotte FC for a while did not have a name when they were recruiting players. <laughs> and this is something that came out recently, right? Yeah. As, as a team that does not have a name, when you, when you look at squad building, what would if, if you had the right to step in, what would you have done? Whew. Um... I think I think in that situation, the only thing you can really do is be honest and what you're trying to sell, I assume, is the project. Right. Um, and if you're a club without a name, I think what you're telling those players is we may not have a name, but we're going to have a strong fan base. And if you come here, you can literally write your name into our history books from the very beginning. And I, I think when you look across clubs, there's always those guys who come down in the history books and some of them are for, you know, because they were some of the best players ever, your Thierry Henry's, um, your Maldini's, those kind of, kind of guys. But I think others are those examples of guys who 
we're in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that can be a selling point for some guys to be like, you know, you could be the, the, the founding legend of this kind of club. I think in general though, that's a hard sell. And, and I think when you hear that, you, you have to take a step back and go, man, maybe it makes sense a little bit of our recruiting strategy or, or what we were doing when you can't even tell a, a player you're going to be playing for this club because you literally don't have that name. Yeah, it's one of the things that that caught me off guard. And a lot of this was due to COVID at the time that the, the club was firing up. But it was one of those moments of going, oh, there was a point in time Charlotte FC was not named Charlotte FC. It was just the MLS club that is going to be located in Charlotte. And how do you sell people on that project? One of the things that I, I want to to jump on is that Charlotte has had, obviously, a number of issues. And I debated whether or not I was going to talk realism before talking strategy or talk strategy before talking realism. But I don't want the challenges Charlotte has faced to be overlooked. And I, I think it would be it would be somewhat rude to make the real issues a footnote of this episode. So Ewan, I want to talk to you because you've watched a lot of football and you've seen a lot of managers come and go. And obviously we have the transition from MAR uh, into Latanzio. And can you just talk to us for a little bit about what you've seen in other leagues and other teams of what really happens when a manager leaves? Uh, I think, um, I think the Charlotte FC situation is a specific case because when Miguel Angel Ramirez leaves, he's not automatically he's not automatically replaced by someone who they kind of had tabs on beforehand when they thought they were going to make the decision. Uh, they promote uh, Christian Latanzio into that position, which he obviously still holds. So last season, when that happens, a lot of what would have happened last season under Latanzio is basically just an extension of all the stuff that would have been worked on under that coaching staff, but with some Latanzio sprinkles in there because he doesn't have a proper preseason yet. He's never been a head coach before. So he's coming into that role with a lot of the work that he's already been there done. Uh, he's already been there having been done. So he's kind of building on that and adding the bits which he would have liked to have had in there from the start in there also. Um, so then when we get to this season, you know, he's got, you know, he's fully putting in his plan, uh, his difference ideas of what he he would have liked to have had done uh, in comparison to last season where that was the situation. So in terms of having that challenge there, you, you can view it in either way. You can say, oh, maybe it was less of a challenge because, you know, you, you're continuing a lot of the stuff, but maybe with the difficult personality of Miguel Angel Ramirez removed from it and a more, you know, popular character Christian Latanzio put in. Or you can view it from the perspective of, you know, we wanted to move in a different direction and we couldn't really move in too much of a different direction because a lot of the coaching staff remained that were there in the first place. So usually the challenges that you'll get is that you'll be trying to rejig a lot of things on the fly during a season because a new manager will come in with a whole new amount of ideas, a whole new coaching staff, and will have played no part in the preseason. But also you can say that's a good thing because if you don't like the direction you're going in, why do you want to keep going down it? So it's almost in the eye of the beholder, the challenges of last season, uh, the fact that we moved on from Miguel and Hill Ramirez, because it brings with it that, um, you know, that, that continuity of certain things, which maybe you like with other things that you don't like so much being in there also. But also, if you don't want to be going down that path, maybe not ideal to keep him in place. So it, it's in the, the eye of the beholder in terms of how difficult you think that was 
overall, in my opinion. Yeah, transitions are always an interesting moment. But one of the things I want to go to you, Josh, with is we have some information that's come out now that the club has been willing to back both MAR and Christian Latanzio a little bit more beyond what they would have done. It, it seems like the club has been willing to give a lot of sway to the, the coaches to the point that when MAR came in, they actually picked up players who they didn't want. MAR wanted people. Charlotte FC went, mm, we don't really know about these guys. We don't think they're the right profile. We don't think they're the right fit. But for you, we'll, we'll bring them in on loan and see if they work out. Do you feel like that's the right strategy for a club to to really look at, especially in early doors, uh, a, a coach and say, we are here to support you. We're here to bring your vision to the fore. You go. And then when Latanzio comes in, essentially do the same thing for Latanzio, bring in the guys Latanzio wants. I think that is a realistic approach as long as you are long-term committed to that coach um and, and i think if if we view mar and his time in my opinion it's wrong of the front office to back him if they're simultaneously after what was it two months going to get rid of him and i know that other things can happen and personalities can change or change the situation but for me if you're going to concede to a coach's wishes to that level then you have to be willing to ride through rough spots that might happen with that mm -hmm. i think in a perfect world a front office is hiring coaches that are fitting sort of their long-term view and i know we're going to get into some of that like how do you do that but that's what i would more like to see rather than not going off the whim that's probably too negative a, a way to put this but if you're hiring a coach and you're building a squad around that coach but with no long-term vision of how you want this club to play, then you're always at the at the uh, whim of that that particular coach, and you're always going to then go through rough transitions if you bring in someone else who has a different style. And so it feels to me like this was probably an understandable learning experience for the front office, and I think it might also explain to some degree why they have at least publicly, for the most part, been so um, defensive with Christian Latanzio mm -hmm. and why they're they're backing him to such a degree, because if you're backing him behind the scenes, you have to be also backing him in the in the front. Yeah, this is one of the things that wasn't necessarily a shock to me. I think we've always known Christian Latanzio has a lot of sway over how the team is playing currently. And MAR had a lot of sway over how the team played previously. One of the things that did come out is that Riley McGree, who is the, the very young, talented player who never saw the field for Charlotte FC, if you want to go look up that story, please go look up that story. It's a very, very good one. Uh, you know, the reason he essentially never came into the team was that he was not favored by MAR. The club said, we like this guy. We think he has potential. Obviously, he's gone on in other leagues to play quite well. Uh, but MAR said, that's not my guy. And so they sent him out on loan. They, they gave him an option to go play and develop elsewhere while they backed MAR. This, this way of, of functioning around a club usually means, like you uh, alluded to, Josh, <clears throat> that there's going to be a transition period in between managers. You don't have one guy 
sitting up top going, this is how the club club plays, and whoever is underneath me is a plug-and-play, you know, cog that just keeps the rest of the train running. We're, we're changing the direction of the tracks here with each coach. And sometimes what that means is in between managers, there's a fall guy. Anyone who has has watched uh, managers transition throughout other clubs knows that whenever there's a manager who's really, really bad or there's a manager who's really, really good, there's often another manager that comes along that it almost doesn't matter how brilliant they are or how good they could be. There's kind of just a fall guy. There's a fallout of the transition of the way you play. And if you want a good example of this, I know I'm biased because of my Premier League experience, but Unai Emery is a manager in the Premier League who went into the Premier League with Arsenal and was essentially the fall guy after the chaos that, that came from a very long tenure at Arsenal from Arsene Wenger. Now, there are those who argue that he wasn't the right guy for the job in the long term. I, I don't really think it mattered. But Zorin has come out and said that when Charlotte first built their plan, it was going to be a three- to five-year plan. In three years, they wanted to be a team that was a force. They wanted to be somebody who was, was there and involved. And in five years, they wanted to be dominant. They wanted to be in the mix for winning trophies. Considering what we've talked about on this podcast, where we've talked about them building the legacy up behind the main team and how the people they've brought in have really been role model type players, some of this starts to fit. If you're going to look at three years from now, those people who are winning at Legacy could very realistically be dominating in the MLS. Ewan, I'm going to be the one who asks you the tough question, and that, is Christian Latanzio just like a really, really effective fall guy? Was he the perfect developmental coach to kind of be the fall guy for the three years we need to get going? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we've kicked about this theory before, and I suppose it's not even really a theory, it's just a a squad building and, and developing, you know, plan that we've speculated might be in place, that there's obviously a load of emphasis on the youth uh, team with the Crown Legacy. There's a lot of general investment in the youth team as a whole in the MLS draft, and, and you know, in terms of Christian Latanzio, not an experienced head coach, but someone who does have experience as a player developer, He's been credited in that role before in youth academies and with uh, uh, in in France when he was working there with Patrick Vieira. He's that that's his kind of calling card. So there is absolutely every you know chance that when we were hiring him full time, the idea was maybe this guy isn't the greatest tactician, maybe he's not the greatest in-game adjuster, but if we're investing a lot in young players and we can have a head coach who that's his absolute bread and butter. And then in two years, you know, if, if he if he kind of cuts his teeth a little bit in terms of developing more as an in-game manager, then great, we've got our guy. But if not, then we've got a guy who we can replace pretty easily, who's also developed our players really well for two years. So it's almost, you know, it, it's not the... It's almost not the... And, and conspiracy theory is a strong term, but, like, it's not <laughs> the ridiculous idea that it maybe seems to some people that they've gone, OK, we've got a load of young developing players... Let's get a head coach in who is absolutely kind of specializes in that, who is also someone who's popular amongst the players. It's kind of ride this ship through, you know, maybe finishing just outside, just inside the playoffs. And then in two years, we have a better squad where we've developed a lot of great players. 
and we're either selling them for major profits or they're playing in our team and we're we're going to bring in a new manager and have them coach those now talented players with his better in-game adjustments and, and better overall tactical game model. So I I, I, I kind of think that that is something that has absolutely been involved in the decision-making. So I... So we don't know it for sure, but I, I think that could certainly be what's happened. I, I want to jump in here because I want to be clear. <clears throat> Everything about this is very positive for like three to five years out because really right now everything's pretty negative, right? Nobody's talking about how this team gets built to, to come back and, and you know make a playoff run this year. If we finish just outside the playoff spots this year, that will have been a really, really good result considering where we're sitting right now. But... Uh, I do sort of want to jump back over to Josh and and get Josh's opinion on this with with the way that things are going, that three to five year mark with what you see. Uh, are, are you on the same, would you call it a conspiracy theory or would you call this a, a real look at what Charlotte FC are probably trying to do? I, I think I'm going to take them at their word. Um, I, I will also say that I feel like I've seen a lot of parallels between Charlotte and the fake Queen City, uh, Cincinnati, in which if you look at if you look at their first three years, they are terrible, like absolutely horrendous years. You look at those rosters, there is very little turnover from that inaugural season roster to their current roster. But last year, all of a sudden, they're, I think, third or fourth in the East. They're they're good. Mm-hmm. This year, they are killing it. I think they have the most points in the league, maybe, or, or behind St. Louis. So I think if you're if you want a positive spin, you're looking at them as sort of a template of of what that three to five year plan looks like and what it could look like. The caveat I would say to that is if I remember correctly, Cincinnati was also kind of panned for their inaugural squad building Mm -hmm. and after those first three years they made adjustments and and had to sort of retool how they built i think my hope would be that charlotte were also viewed in a negative light with how they built that inaugural roster and my hope is that rather than being stubborn maybe we're moving towards a different approach sooner rather than later um i don't know that i truly buy that that was the always the original plan was three to five years. I, I don't know that I truly buy that, but I think now I buy it. <laughs> I think that they've they've realized that they couldn't come into this league and just sort of jump into the. They weren't LAFC. We don't have the draw of that city. They couldn't just be that team that immediately made an impact. And so now they've readjusted their goals and they're looking. Okay, how do we actually build an organization that is built long term for long term success? Yeah, I, I am going to go ahead and reference because we're gonna we're gonna start. We've said that COVID existed, which I think we can now all agree is true. We have talked about some of the the issues with how you get a team off the ground. We've talked about some of the real world challenges, not to mention what happens when real people are involved. Right? We had a couple of players at Charlotte FC who did some pretty bad things, and all of a sudden were on our books, but we didn't want to touch and couldn't get rid of. We've talked about the caveats, so now we're gonna go sort of to a thirty thousand foot view and talk about. If, if you were playing, you know, a real-life version of Football Manager, how do you really – what is the theory behind building a team that, that actually brings success? And this might become more critical quicker than we expect because 
and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stay with you, Josh, for this one. Carol Schwederski is linked. Now it's it's linked. I'm I'm air quoting for the people who can't see through a podcast. Uh, you know who you are. He is linked. <laughs> Shame. Yeah, he is linked to Syria, and this does not necessarily surprise me. So, what are your reactions to to Carol potentially leaving? How much do you put into this? Like, do you think this is a, a real thing, or do you think this is just uh, news being tossed up into the wind? I think that there's enough smoke around this to where there, there it's there's probably some real um, legs to this story. I it feels weird to me that a a Charlotte player would be linked to an Italian side if there weren't actual links to it. I know Swiderski does play on the, you know, for the, for the Polish team, but it's still a case of where I just don't think that someone is just grabbing a name out of a hat and making this up at the same time. When I take a view of where is MLS as a league. And I think, I think in the best light, MLS is a developmental league. It's not a league where I, I don't think you want a team that's going to stay together for 10 plus years. Cause that's probably not a very good team. And so I don't want to see Carol Schwederski go. I have been one of the bigger proponents of the crown cast of him. I, I recognize some of his faults, but I think just on a pure talent level, he is one of the best talents, if not the best on our team. So I think it hurts us if he leaves, but at the same time, I think in a general team building way, for the MLS, you want that to be happening. You want to be identifying these younger guys, maybe in the fringes of, of European leagues, bringing them over here, having them showcase, and then reselling them to Europe, making profit, and doing it all over again with a, with a new group of players. It's something that Philadelphia does really well. It's something New England does really well. And so, and those are two teams that have dominated MLS for the past few years, year in and year out. So I think it's a disappointing development, but I also think it points to good talent ID, which is what we need to be looking for over the next few years. Okay, you and I'm going to get you in on this. Carol Zwiderski to Syria. Where does this rate on your no way that's happening meter? <laughs> well, it's um, like Josh mentions, it's Salernitana where he's specifically linked to and well I mean, done you, yeah, brave man to, to be willing to try that one on 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 live well I, I was gonna say like you mentioned josh if we're talking you know selling uh column inches and getting clicks charlotte fc to uh selling the town is probably not you know so that you're pumping out there just for the sake of our oh, people really love this information so there's there's got to be a little bit of concrete um you know you and, a, a little bit didn't you hear the news? Carol Swiderski is getting signed by Real Madrid <laughs> for 155 yeah. million British pounds. Why it's British pounds in Real Madrid in America? I don't don't ask me questions. Yeah, uh, for, for anyone, English media. For, for anyone who's out there, that that is not true. That was for the sake of the comedy. You and continue. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I mean on top of that, um, Salonatana have like a bit of they're not like a super rich team by any means, but. By going off the uh, the rumors and, and what's already happened this summer, they are a team with a bit of money in their pocket, and they just uh, they just stayed up in Serie A last year, so they are a team who are in a position to make a transfer like this. So I, I think this has real legs to it. I think this is something that is absolutely true. And also, we have the Swiderski interview, which he uh, did in Poland, which um, 
I mean, on a side note, it's always fun when players do interviews in the home country, thinking that that can't be translated or moot or sent back <laughs> to uh, to the to the club that they play in at all. That's, that's Google doesn't exist. Google yeah, doesn't but... exist in Poland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. That that's a, that's a cross sport uh, fun thing that seems to happen for a few athletes. Um, so if you combine that with the fact that it does seem like the links are pretty concrete, I would say that this is something which has a real chance, not only of being true, but also probably a real chance of actually happening. Whether that happens, you know, in January or or whenever it may be, it seems like there's something very very solid here in terms of this link. So uh, I will say I think it's probably got some legs. I don't know that I'm on the like, yeah, this is definitely happening. I think that Carol Schroederski's time at Charlotte FC is over in his head. <clears throat> and I'll explain that by saying, I think that's a very talented player. And I think that's a guy with a lot of skill who feels like he's in a place where his skill isn't getting rewarded. And sooner or later, those guys are going to go. Whether... He feels like he's getting moved around too much. I mean, he's been our striker. He's been our 10. He's spent a lot of time in our six by just having to drop that far back in the field to pick up the ball. He's been our right wing. But what he's never been is supported as an attacker. And that is a guy who could thrive being supported as an attacker. And I think he wants to see that for himself, whether that's at the Serie A club or whether that's somewhere else. I don't know how much longer... Carroll is going to want to stay at Charlotte FC when he's not winning. Uh, so that's a, a decision for him and obviously for the club and obviously for whoever wants to pay us $150 million uh, American dollars. I'll make it slightly more feasible for Carol Swiderski. Whoever wants to do that, please do. I, I want to talk about the fact that when you build a team, we have seen the Real Madrid and the Man City effect where – these guys have the ability to build the perfect house. And I'm going to use houses here because I think it's really easy to understand the metaphor. And that is if you want to build the absolute perfect, most beautiful house you can, you can go and you can find the perfect plan. right? You can go and you can find one that has exactly the number of bedrooms you want, exactly the number of bathrooms you want. Uh, you can go and buy the land that you want to build it on so it's not it's in the absolute perfect location. And then you can go and you can import all the best materials, right? Do you want Italian marble? Go import Italian marble. Uh, do you want roofing tiles from Japan? Go buy roofing tiles from Japan. Money is no object. Everything is top tier. And you get to build it exactly the way you want. There are maybe two clubs, maybe three clubs in the world who can do that. They are Man City, PSG, and Real Madrid. You're forgetting the Saudi League. Uh, and now the Saudi League. Yes, you're correct. Uh, because the Saudi League can literally shoot money out of a cannon towards anybody they want. Nobody else in the world can do that. That w We can all agree that's the best way to build a team. <laughs> if you can, can lay out the perfect game plan for how to win in your league and then spend however much money it takes to, to get the absolute best players for every position, good on you. The next way to build a team, in my opinion, and maybe we'll get into this, is that you can plan the, the, the perfect house or uh, you can have uh, you can plan for the perfect materials that are available to you and then you can build a house around it. So you notice that wherever you live is really is good at exporting marble. Marble is very available to you. 
right? You build a house around having really, really ornate marble that stands out and makes your house look beautiful. The next way to build a house is you plan the perfect plan. You make everything exactly the way you want it, and then you use whatever materials are available to try and make that perfect plan work, right? And maybe your countertops aren't gorgeous. Maybe, maybe the flooring isn't exactly the way you want it. Maybe the roof leaks. But in theory, you still have that perfect house. I, I don't think the third way works, not in, in most leagues. I don't think that you can go and you can say, I want all the bells and whistles on a limited budget with limited access to materials and still get something that is foundationally, structurally solid. I do think the second way works. I do think that you can go and you can say, I, I want to have a beautiful place and I'm willing to give up some of my principles because some of the things I have access to are top quality and top tier and they will, they will elevate the, the level of everything. And yes, I am talking about Lionel Messi. <laughs> I, I think the MLS is a league where you, you play a kingpin strategy. You get two or three truly elite game-changing players and then you build a team around them and you let those two or three guys go run the league. And if you're lucky, the rest of your team develops really well around them and you end up having an incredibly strong team that was built around two or three rocks. Ewan, tell me why I'm wrong. No, I think it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty sound analysis for the, um, for the sport itself as well, because football is kind of seen as a strong link sport whereby the strongest players in your team are more effective than the worst players in your team are detrimental. Um, obviously that within the confines of being at the professional level regarded by the league. You know, some people say that something like basketball is a weak link sport or American football, football to most listeners, I imagine, is a weak link sport. Football, soccer is, is seen as a strong link sport. So not only is it something that you're right in saying is probably the right way to build an MLS team, it's also just the way that people generally view the sport at large. So I, I think you're spot on with that. And obviously we're not talking about bringing in someone like Messi that's just kind of out of our that's out of our realm but <laughs> it still stands to it, it still stands to argument that you want to be building a team where you know you you have real difference makers within the core of something where okay everything else might not be perfect but if you're profiling your signings correctly and they're able to perform the functions that you want them to say a right back is maybe not as good generally as another right back is available, but they perform the function that you want better than the other guy. They're able to invert better. They're able to able to cover space in transition better Then maybe they are. Maybe the other guy's better at crossing and overlapping and, and things like that, which we don't ask our fullbacks to do. The lesser fullback who's better in those areas who you can maybe get for cheaper and is seen as a lesser player and maybe a, a, a misfit part to other teams. As long as you're profiling those other areas correctly, then you can absolutely have a situation where those guys are surrounding absolute strong link players, like you say. And in a league like the MLS, where the ceiling is kind of brought down on it, I think that makes absolute sense to be the way that you would look to build a squad. So I really like the way you say strong link player, because, you know, we do talk about the effect of really inner Miami went from a team that was absolute bottom of the barrel, could not win a game, didn't actually know what scoring looked like. To I don't actually remember the last time they lost a game. Uh, was it was it was the last loss they had before Messi came? 
Yeah, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm getting. Yep. A, yeah, I'm getting a nod. So, I, I believe so. I, I'm going to jump to you, Josh, and sort of shoot the same question out there. Charlotte FC is a team that thus far has traditionally tried to build to a plan, not build around its players. Would you agree that that's true? And would you say that you think it's better to to build to a plan? Or would you say it's better to look at what players are in front of you and build what you have? Um, I do think that we are building to a plan. That is also the way that I want a club to operate. I think that the plan has changed <laughs> at, at different points in our young history, um, which is probably a problem because if you're changing the plan, then are you actually building towards a plan? Um, to to go back to your to your metaphor of the house, and I've said this before, what I think is really missing from this team is the locally sourced things. When I look at Charlotte and I look at other MLS teams, what I continue to see a lack of is high-level MLS players on Charlotte's roster. We keep going for the Italian marble. We keep going for the Japanese tile. We keep going for those things but we're missing the local lumber. Um, and that's what I want us to see to start incorporating is I just, I need a few players who are in their prime MLS players to really support this team so that they don't have to adjust. Um, and, and that's the only thing that I'm looking forward moving because I'm fine with us having a plan and having players that we're identifying who, as you instead might not be, the best player at that position, but fit our plan better. I'm fine with that. I just think we're trying to get too cute with it and importing too much rather than seeing what we have right here. This one gives me some frustration because I do think that there's an element of Charlotte FC that got better when we started to acknowledge some of our players' strengths and build around it. The one I'm going to reference here is uh, Derek Jones. There was a time in Charlotte FC's history where Derek Jones was just generally looked at like somebody who was not capable of being on the pitch. I mean, it's hard to imagine now, but if you go back a year and a half from now, Derek Jones was a liability. And at some point in time, somebody looked at him and said, this guy has, I know I like the term superpower, but this guy has a superpower. We're going to build around that superpower to an extent. Once we started building around that superpower, we developed the connection between Derek Jones and Ashley Westwood uh, which we're not currently making that much use out of, but that that connection in the midfield suddenly became one of our strongest links. But nobody else was playing around it. It was just Derek Jones. There has been this desire to push the team all the way up. There's then been this desire to press. And there's been this desire to be really narrow in the back. A lot of our players don't fit that plan. So... I guess I'd struggle wrapping my head around exactly what Charlotte FC is interested in. You in on a on a broad scale level, do you see the players at Charlotte FC right now whose individual talents match the plan that that Christian Latanzio wants to play? Probably not. Probably not. From what we're aware of of what Latanzio wants to do. Um, I think one of the things that was interesting that was mentioned was, I believe, is this correct, um, that uh, Canetta and, and Latanzio not always kind of seeing eye to eye on the recruitment? Uh, is is that is that correct? 
So, um, yeah, in the in the interview that the Mint City guys did with Zorn Cornetta, uh, Zorn talked about the fact that he really believes the best way to build anything, not just a, a football team, the best way to build anything is look at what's in front of you and build around the materials you have. And it wasn't outright said, you know, it, obviously everyone's being polite to each other. No one's going to throw anybody over the over the coals. But there were some slight hints that Latanzio maybe feels a little bit more strongly that he needs to play to a plan, not necessarily to the individuals that are there. And Zoran said, he's the coach, we're going to support him. So maybe a little bit of disagreement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, I mean, what, what I was going to say off the back of that is that, and off the back of your question is that that kind, that kind of shows, I think you can trace uh, Kaneta's recruitment at the club. If, if you go back to Riley McGree, that example, Riley McGree's uh, kind of, a, he's a classic 10, classic playmaker, classic, you know, playing a team that wants to play high possession, a uh, bit of a luxury player. And if you also think of Karol Svidersky as a striker or a 10, for as much as I like him, I would admit that he's a little bit of a luxury player. And then you get someone like Latanzio, who everything that he wants out of his team, he he wants players who waste nothing out of possession. That's how I see it anyway. He would prioritise guys who are good out of possession, even in positions like on the wing. He would prioritise guys who are better out of possession than maybe someone who can throw a trick in there and beat a man, beat his fullback. I think, when we discussed it before, I think that's why Justin Merrim gets a lot of football for this team because out of possession, he is able to follow the plans that are set out really, really well versus one of the multitude of wingers that we've invested in that we want to develop because that's where Latanzio wants us to be um, with his team, a really good out-of-possession pressing side. So that is where I feel like the disconnect comes. I, I think in an ideal world, and even if you include Miguel Angel Ramirez, and there was also some disagreement you know, in terms of allowing him to have his guys as well, again, it's a lot of emphasis in out-of-possession, whereas Canetta, I think, is investing in players to be brutally honest, those playmakers, those wingers at 19, 20, 21 years old, who, if they play well for two or three years, they can turn big profits because mm -hmm. they're the players that go for the big money. And when you contrast that with a head coach who is not about turning young players into guys who you could make a lot of money out of, he's about trying to win the games that are on the schedule. They're going to favor some out of possession stuff and some experience over that. So I agree that there's a little bit of a disconnect there between the team that Latanzio's given and the team that he would ideally like and I think that's where the disconnect comes mainly in terms of that out, out of possession stuff versus that high high possession stuff where you're able to get playmakers in those positions. I think there's a disconnect and that's the where I think it is mainly. So I've got one more question. I'm going to go to both of you with this, but I'll start with Josh. And that is, Josh, when you look at the world of football today, because it changes fast, if you'd have asked me this six years ago, I would have told you a different answer to what I feel like now. The dominant form of football in the world that is accessible to the MLS, is it a controlling game, is it a counterattacking game, or is it an attacking high-octane game? Attacking high-octane built around exceptional athletes for the league. Yep. Ewan, you, do you feel similarly in this one? I think the I think the best way to be effective in the MLS that you can do very quickly is become really good in transition. I, I think that is your foundation raiser. And then I think what can really raise the ceiling of your team is 
like you mentioned, just generally high octane, playing high up the field with built-in automatisms that can create chances for your team that the players really understand. But, you know, that that's easier said than done, I suppose. So, but I would just say, yeah, the transition stuff is the easiest way to make your team good in an MLS more than other leagues. So what we've just done there is we've solved football. So now if anyone is, is interested in starting your own team, building your own MLS team, whatever, we've solved the MLS for you. Uh, you don't have to think about it anymore. We did all the dirty work. And that's not true. Obviously, we started with the the challenges that teams face because it can be really easy to look at stuff from a top-down view and go, oh, yeah, you draw, you put the X here and you put the O here. But there are real factors that go along to each and every one of these decisions. And... You know, we may all at the end of two years from now be looking at Christian Latanzio holding the, you know, the, the top spot in the MLS and having won every cup he played in with the best team in America. I tend to doubt it in two years, but maybe, right? Let's be hopeful. We could theoretically end up looking at that and I'll look back at this and go, nope, the Christian Latanzio had it right the whole time. Hindsight's 2020. There's There's a real world element to all of this. But I do think the introduction of Messi into the MLS has showed us that one or two truly outstanding players is a very effective way to take on the MLS. Uh, speaking of teams that have used one or two or three or four or five or six very effective players to take on the MLS, uh, we have to play L.A. And I'm going to send it over to Josh to tell us how we're going to beat L.A. in our upcoming game. <laughs> um. LA is a weird team to me from a pure points perspective and a position perspective. Obviously, I think they're they're second in the in the West. But this is not a vintage LAFC team to me. Um, and specifically, it, it's when it comes to goal scoring. They are they continue to be very stingy defensively. Last year they were second in the league in goals allowed. This year they're third. But the big drop-off has come with their attack last year they were second in the league in scoring this year they're 10th um and a lot of that has to do with the i think the dry spell maybe you would say of um bonega bonega i'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name um but he he came from saint Etienne last year for them and he hit the ground running this year before june he had 10 goals since June, he has two. Um, and that's sort of the big thing when you look at this team is that Bornega has 12 goals. Carlos Vela has eight. There are five PKs in there, by the way. So it's really only uh, 15 goals from open play between their two top scorers. And then it drops off to their third top scorer has three goals in MLS. So when I look at this team, I would in a vacuum say, a solid defensive team is going to cause them problems because they're struggling to score. <laughs> and of course we are Charlotte FC and we are not a solid defensive team. We are the worst team in the league when it comes to allowing goals. Um, so in order to beat them, I think that we just need to turn into them defensively and then continue to be us offensively. It's a simple fix. Really? Can, can I just jump in here? Because last year, I think it was around this time that I can't remember which team it was was coming to Charlotte, but they put out a big, like, here's how you beat Charlotte. And their thing about how to beat Charlotte was Charlotte FC can't attack, but what they can do is defend. 
So you have to be oh. willing to 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 sit to be to put in the effort to break down a very good defense out of Charlotte FC. And boy, how the <laughs> turntables have tabled. Uh, yeah. Any- <laughs> Is there any uh, any anything else you want to add on to that before I jump over to you? And just that I I think because of his goal tally, Bonega continues to get some of the headlines, but I continue to be impressed by two players on that team, and and one is Carlos Vela. Yes, he's a little bit long in the tooth, but I think he's still a really dangerous player for this league. And the other is uh, Ile Sanchez. I'm not probably not saying his first name correctly. Um, but Sanchez, he's just a really solid midfielder. He's a solid passer through all three levels. Um, he is going to get all across the field. And he's a guy who I think if I were planning for this team, I would try to come up with a plan to deny him the ball as much as possible. All right. You and you got anything you want to add on to, uh, you know, I know you, you do your own research into, into teams. What do you think of L.A.? Yeah, I mean, uh, you make a good point there, Josh, in terms of pointing out all the all the players that they have available um, to them, where they could be strong in, in the attacking phase. Um, they also have a uh, another midfielder in uh, Mateusz Bogus, who um, has has started playing more often for them than he was at the start of the year. Joined in March, uh, he's started playing a lot more nineties. He was regularly coming off the bench, and now he's regularly playing um, from the start for them. The reason why I think it's important to point him out is that, you know, he, he's not one of their headline players. He's not someone whose stats will stand out so much. Um, but he's a monster player in transition. I think he's really good in, in, in transition moments. I think when you give him space, he's a big guy, big athlete, good on the ball. He can eat it up and he can be really effective. And one of the things that we've spoken about with Charlotte is that when we get into our high press and that can be played over, there is a lot of space beyond our midfield playing high up the field uh, playing high up the uh, playing high up the pitch there's a lot of space that they leave to be exposed so if i was thinking of someone in this game for la where maybe they're not a typical headline getter maybe not someone who will always stand out but this particular matchup makes them quite dangerous mateus bogus he's the player who i think stands out in particular in this game who could benefit from the way that we play so i think that's maybe a player to to keep your to keep attention on in uh, in this fixture because he he could well do a bit of damage. Uh, I'll also mention as well that obviously we've um, we've got a little bit of a break here because uh, we didn't have a game uh, the weekend just gone. Uh, LAFC, I believe uh, they play tonight. Um, this being Wednesday night, they they play against Colorado. Uh, they uh, they play that game in LA, and then they'll be traveling over. So obviously the element of of how much travel is there and the fact that they'll be playing on a few days rest versus us on uh, on two days rest. A little bit of an advantage there. I think that's fair to say for uh, for Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte FC went from being the team who had that absolutely crazy turnaround in order to play in the League's Cup to now having had lots of time to prepare for L.A. You and you didn't really give me a lot of ways in which I see hope for how Charlotte is going to break down L.A. So I'll go back to Josh. Josh, where is Charlotte getting our, our seven goals? <laughs> Um, I think I would probably look at a player like, um, uh, his name is Holland's head. He's a defender. He's 32 or so. He's one of their fullbacks. I actually like him as a player, but he's more of that winger fullback 
than he is a, a traditional fullback. He is having a, a hell of a year. I believe this was his first year making the MLS All-Stars, so he is not a slouch, but his his goal is not to defend. His goal is to get forward. So I think I would look towards his wing maybe as a place where, hey, let's invite him up and then let's try to get uh, in behind him a little bit. Okay. You and any any good news for me on how we're going to score seven goals? <laughs> I mean, you you know me. You're always coming to the wrong person when you want a bit of positivity. I'm, I'm always planning for the worst uh, possible case scenario in any kind of fixture. But I do agree with Josh. That is definitely – if you're going to pick a side – uh, in terms of the wings that you're going to target, I think that is the side. You get a little bit of a flat-footed uh, uh, fullback in in Holling in uh, in Hollingshed, and again, the, the way they play, it almost rotates around a little bit on the left side. So the left will will invert a little bit, and and he'll play ahead of the play. So if you're thinking about space, whether it be in transition or or, or a little bit more settled, to just actually go at a wing or uh, a fullback one on one, I think that's definitely definitely the side that you want to be targeting. Okay, well, I will be the positive one. And I will say that Carol Swiderski is going to score three. Uh, one of them is going to be a volley out of the air. Spectacular. Uh, Patrick Ogimong His final has, game for Charlotte. Got yeah, it. Yeah. His price tag <laughs> is immediately going to shoot up to 200 million U.S. dollars. Uh, then, then he's going to end up going to the Saudi league because those are the only people who can pay that. And uh, Patrick Ogimong is going to get two. And Christian Kalina is going to get one. And uh, undetermined player is going to get one. My thing to watch for this game is going to be the defense because I, I firmly believe L.A. is the type of professional team that will tell you about yourself. This is a team that is good. They are stable. They are capable of manipulating their game to hurt you. And the way they play us is going to tell us about us. And I, I firmly believe that other coaches, they, they don't hold back in the league. So we're going to learn about Charlotte FC, and I, I say that because I want to point out a kid that maybe a lot of us have forgotten, and that's Nikola Petkovic, who is returning into the crown legacy, and this is a guy who is very, very highly rated. He's a center back. He's a defensive player, and it may not be, it may not be Petkovic, but somebody out there is going to start looking at the holes of Charlotte FC and saying, I'm going to be the one who fixes that. Because teams go up and down. Somebody out there is going to say, I'm going to see what's wrong, and I'm going to be the one who stands in that hole. And maybe it's this kid. Maybe it's somebody else. But people are going to start noticing the flaws in our defense sooner or later, and it needs to be Charlotte who's taking notes of our flaws, not other teams. So take notes on, on where we get cut open, how we get cut open, and see whether or not Charlotte addresses those, whether it's new players or new formations, whatever it is. Take notes. Uh, keep your eyes out there. On that note, I think we are going to go ahead and begin to wrap it up. This has been a little bit of a long one. But I am going to say thank you to Josh. Yeah. <laughs> I lost for what? <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the what am, what are you thanking me for? Uh, I want I want specifics. Josh, th <laughs> thank you. Thank you for sharing with us your beautiful, beautiful voice. Uh, and you and thank you for just existing in general. Wow. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Always a pleasure. All right. Now that we have absolutely nailed the sign offs, uh, if you want to follow us online, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore crown underscore cast. You can find us on Twitter. I'm still going to call it Twitter. Uh, at the underscore crown cast 
And we will talk to you again after we go take our next three points from LAFC. We love you. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Network.com.